This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The scripture this reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for protect, for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, um, happy Father's Day. And uh, one of the gifts that I want to give you is that I not take myself too seriously. And uh, thank you for allowing me to do that and teasing me. We had a lot of fun here last Sunday night. And uh, if you were a part of that, it was fun. Well, the last thing that gets said is they say the thing that gets remembered the most, right? So this is what I want you to remember the most. So in a conversation with your spouse or with a friend, you may, it may get very, very heated and uh, lots of conflict. But if the last words are, I love you, you walk away feeling pretty good. Con- on the contrary, if, if you have a really nice conversation with someone and the last words are, you are a real jerk, doesn't feel so good. The rest of your day isn't good at all. Do you know the Bible in the, the Old Testament uh, is a Father's Day passage, the way the Old Testament ends. It says that God will do something. It implies someone's coming who will turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children and, and the hearts of the children towards the fathers. And we need that, boy. We need that, folks, more than ever. But the, the last word in the New Testament is not that promise. It's actually a curse because God says through Malachi the prophet, and if this doesn't happen, he will strike the land with a curse. So curse is the last word in the, New, in the Old Testament. But the good news is in the New Testament, if you get to the very, very end, Revelation 22, verse 21, we have this phrase, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Isn't that beautiful? And that's how the Bible ends. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. And so the Apostle Paul, as he comes, if you know Paul, you know that he begins his letters, almost every letter, by saying, hello, grace and peace. And that's the way he introduces himself. And then he ends his letters by saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And those are not throwaway lines, folks. Those are not just salutations and and, uh, whatever the thing there is at the end, I can't remember. But it's the way you end. It's not that. It's those, are, those are the most important part of his letters. He says a lot of stuff in between that's important. But it's surrounded by the grace and then the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're going to get to the end of Paul's letter. I just tried to figure out, where can I go here? How do I finish this thing up? And 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, has that line in there. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that is what I would want for you. And I I want that for myself as well. It's the greatest thing. So we're going to look at that this morning. We need his grace today. And uh, but I need to tell you that Paul 
in almost all of his letters, before you get the grace part, you get warnings. And so let me give you a little review of some of the warnings I've given over the years. And I'm just trying to pick out. I was just trying to pick out a sampling of the few. So I've got three that I know I have said. You have heard me say these like, you know, a, a father would say to his kids over and over. Oh, Dad, I've heard that so many times. But the first one has to do with sexuality, human sexuality. The New Testament, 55 times, uses the word porneia to describe any sexuality outside of a man and a woman. And it is not good, God's opinion on that stuff. And this culture does not get it. And I know some of you struggle with that. But God has not changed his opinion. And if I don't tell you the truth on that, I'm not being faithful to God. And I'm going to stand in judgment for not being a truth teller. That's a warning. You've heard me say that. Another one is the futility of pursuing the American dream. It's a form of idolatry. Did you hear that? It is the pursuit of the American dream. And you can look it up, what it means. All that that entails. If that's your ultimate goal in life, you will ultimately be in a place of despair. As many in America are right now. Uh, we're moving into a community where there's empty houses everywhere. Patty and I were looking at houses a few weeks ago, and this one was, I mean, it, had, it was a beautiful home. I mean, this would have been a, in its day, I don't, I don't even want to guess the value, but it had been trashed. The, the, the dishwasher had been taken out. The copper pipes had been taken out. It's a short sale. You know, it's, and you think, well, the, the dream that was once there is just now, uh, the realtor who's showing us this stuff, he was, he was uh, going to a place to show a house, and he, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the whole story, but he, he a, a woman who knew he was coming, who was going through financial uh, ruin, knew that he was coming, and when he came into the driveway, she smashed into his car. She got in her car and plowed into his car, and then took off. And he called her, because he had her number, and he said, do you want me to call the police, or do you want to come back here and we'll talk to them together? That's, that's the despair of people who pursue the American dream. And it ultimately, for all of us, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't pan out. So there's that warning. And then the biggest warning the Bible gives over and over and over again is never pers- use the word grace as a justification for Sin, And we we have this way of thinking that, oh, God, you're so good at forgiving and I'm so good at sinning. What a deal, right? We have that logic. That logic does not work. God is a holy God. So warnings are part of life, uh, are part of the letters that Paul, uh, before he gives his grace, benediction. I want to look at the church real quick here. What is the church? The church is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we have Jesus-centered disciples. I pray that that is the category that you are in. That does not mean you are perfect. It means you are moving towards Jesus. And then in church, we have spiritual consumers. And maybe all of us get infected with this disease called spiritual consumers. You know what people say when they have this? They say, feed me, feed me, feed me, entertain me, entertain me. I want stuff for me and my family. That is such consumerism. Where does that come from? Oh, it's, it's not good. And, and uh, it, it, people, um, I, get, I just sometimes have to bite my tongue um, that they come here and they want to know about our church and they don't even think to ask about how much mission we're doing. 
I mean, that bugs me. That, that we're, that we, that's why we exist, but they want to know, what are the programs for me and my kids? Don't you see a selfishness in that? An anti-Jesus in that? That's called spiritual consumerism. Strong warnings on that, folks. And so we have the world out there that God loves. And I always think, well, my job is to bring the real you before the real God. And I want to do that with people in the world. And I want to do it with people who are centered in Jesus. I want to get spiritual consumers to become followers of Christ, to get all of us moving towards Jesus. All of it. Jesus is the living center. He's the main thing. Okay, so there's, there's some warnings that, uh, you know, well, Paul gives warnings here about examining yourselves to see whether you're in the faith or not. I mean, this is strong language. He's writing to these people that he's had a real ongoing argument with all this time. Examine yourself. Test yourself. See if you're truly in Christ. Those are strong words to say to people. And then he goes into it, but he loosens up as he gets to the end. And uh, he says, you know, I, my authority, the authority that I have as an apostle, is not meant to be used to tear you down, but to build you up. Aren't you glad? So I'm going to say some things right now to build you up. But just hear those warnings. They're there. They're part of the deal. But now I want to use whatever authority, whatever position I have here, whatever voice I have to build you up. And so Paul begins in verse 10 or verse 11 by saying, uh, rejoice. Now, it gets translated goodbye here, but uh, it's, it's, it's just not right. That's not right. The Greek word is rejoice. So rejoice. Come on, smile. Give me a smile. Rejoice. After he scolded them, you know, are you even Christians? You know, well, rejoice. He doesn't want that to be the last word. He says, rejoice, and then he says, live in uh, harmony. Oh, he says, aim high. Set your aim high. Uh, We think of Jesus. I mean, can we set our aim any higher? Be like Jesus. Set your aim high. And then live in peace. Live in unity with each other. And then he says, he has a little bit of a benediction here, meaning a closing blessing. And he says, may the God of love and peace be with you. But that's just, he's just warming up. So... We've got to go on. And then he talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. I have no idea what a holy kiss is. I mean, it's it, something in their culture that, where they would... I'm guessing it was something like a peck on the cheek or whatever, that, that they were to give to each other. That was part of their... Instead of a handshake, they do a holy kiss. Thing. Okay. And then he says, all the saints greet you. All the saints. So what he's letting the church in Corinth know is that there are many other people who are watching them. They're looking at you, wondering what you're going to do next. What's your move going to be? Are you going to to follow these people who are trying to lead you astray? Are you going to stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're not alone in this. And so I want to say to Community Covenant Church, you are not alone in this. There are many people who care who are praying for you. You need to know that. People, I mean, it's amazing when you're part of a bigger family. And they're praying because, well, first of all, they love us. You know, hey, we are loved. But second of all, you need to know that in the hearts of the people who uh, were here before I was in this church, there was a dream to reach Alaska in a greater way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that dream has been, if you ask them, 
If you ask them what they dreamed about, that dream has been exceeded many times over. They feel so graced. And they, they were praying for a strategic importance in a church that would help bring healing to the darkness of western Alaska and to our community and that, that we could you know, invite friends to. That was the dream in their hearts. And if you ask it to a person, they'll say, I never thought it could be like this. Now, I, I like to be around them because they, they remind me of how much we've been graced. So people are praying. They care about what happens in, in this church. We're connected. We're not on our own. All right. So then we get to the verse that I want to focus on. Verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The, it's interesting. And this is one of the few places where Paul adds to that. And he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then he says, the love of God. Well, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And what you have here is a Trinitarian blessing, Father, Son, and Spirit. But when you hear, it's out of the order, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Son, Father. When you see the, the word God used in this way in the New Testament, he's referring to God as Father. It doesn't say Father, but you can, you can just assume that. So you have the, the grace of the Son, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to use this uh, little thing here. And so traditionally, the Trinity, one of the ways to explain the Trinity is by the metaphor of a triangle. And you'll have uh, God the Father and then uh, the Son and the Spirit. And you'll see something like this. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. And, And it's all this not, but they are all they are all God. So it looks something like like that. And, oops, this way. Heresy. Okay, you didn't see that. All right, God. Yeah, you've got to be careful when you're talking about the Trinity here. Well, uh, what what Paul does though is he starts here. Now, why does he start here? Why does he begin with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why are we focusing on it today? It's because what he does is he tips the triangle towards us so that we can see it. And so we have Christ. And we are over here. So a very spiritual stick person over here, okay? And then you have the Father. And what, and what we know from, uh, this is just theology stuff that is so helpful, but we know that the Father is known for love. And that if that's news to you, take it as good news. The Father is the one who in whom the love is thought through. But it's not, it's not evidenced in ways that we can see. And so Christ becomes <clears throat> the evidence of the love of God, the Father. And the Spirit is the one who interprets that love to us. And the great interpretation event of the New Testament is the cross. And so here's, here's just, I'm, I'm reminding you of stuff that I've said over the years, but the cross is that, is, is the only God could be so brilliant to do such a dumb thing, is how theologians will talk about this. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians says the cross is foolishness. When any, anybody in the first century world would see this cross, they would never think of God. They would never think of anything good. They would only think of the horrors and the darkness 
And the worst stuff of life, that's what the cross represented. And that's exactly where God went. And if God can go there, he can go anywhere. Do you see how brilliant it is? But you see how stupid it looks like? And it's only the Holy Spirit. This is the thing, folks. If that doesn't make sense to you, it's because the Spirit hasn't opened your heart. Only the Spirit can make the cross make sense inside. This is what, this is such a key part of what it means to be a Christian. That we live a cruciform or a cross-centered life that is not about us. And it takes us out of spiritual consumerism and puts us into places of serving God and others. All right. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is grace? Grace is a surprise gift. It's a surprise gift because you would never, ever expect it to come the way it does. It is not something that you could... It, it totally catches you off guard. It is, it is, it, you, you, there's no connecting of the dots, in other words, between your life and this gift that you get. And so you're totally shocked uh, when it happens to you. Uh, last Sunday night, we, had a, we, we, we knew that something would be given to us. That seemed kind of, you know, uh, and we were here and, and we, had, we were sort of teased a little bit with uh, an ulu knife that wasn't even sharp. And, and then a, a trip to Cold Bay, Alaska, which uh, I will sell to anybody here. And then, um, but in the end, it was, it was a trip to Hawaii, so thank you for that. And, but, um, you know, it's kind of, how do I say this? I'm very, very grateful in all of that. So just don't hear me wrong here. But after you're playing to play 17 years, people tend to give you stuff. And there's a connection between the friendship that we have and the gift, right? But you know what, you know what the scriptures say? It says that God gifted us while we were enemies. There was no expectation that God would ever do anything for us the way he has done something for us by going to the cross for us. So it's a surprise gift. Another memory that I have of being surprised was in 2001, I believe, and uh, it was about this time of year. I remember it was a sunny day, but I, I gave a sermon that day, a talk that it just fell flat. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Yeah, I, I felt it. It just, it just kind of went out there and poof. And I, when, you do, when you do what I do, Mondays can be very, very uh, bad days because you, you, you relive all the stuff. And that was one of those uh, black Mondays for me. And so I kind of went through that week saying, oh, oh, Lord, I don't know. Am I really called to this? I mean, is this really? I just, I, I don't Do I have anything else in me that I could say? That, is there a comeback on this one? And I think it was Friday of that week where a guy named Mike called me up and he said, Pastor Mark, I just want to tell you that I gave my life to Christ on Sunday. He was sitting back there somewhere, some holy ground back there somewhere. And I said, what? <laughs> you, you couldn't? You, you, what? I was totally, he was surprised by God's grace. Well, I was surprised by God. And I said, well, couldn't you have called me on Monday? I had a bad day. No. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it surprises us, the Spirit of God, applying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to our hearts. It catches us off guard. We can't program that stuff. It happens. It nourishes us, surprises us, and it nourishes us. Um, it feeds us. It, uh, think of Paul, who was once at one time murdering the Christian church. I mean, he was literally killing Christians, persecuting them. And now he's the leader of the movement. And what is it? Why is he always talking about grace? It's because he didn't deserve any of that. 
And he never got over. And when you get over grace, you are in deep doo-doo spiritually. You get over it, you're done. You wake up every day, and I want this for you, and I know it's not always true of me. Is you wake up every day with that thrill in your heart that God has poured his love into you. That you were once an enemy of his, and now he has brought you near. That's, that is good news. And that nourishes your soul. It feeds you in the deepest way. There is nothing else in life that can feed you like the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not only does it do that, it's relationally. Uh, it, it, it just spills over into your uh, relational life. And you'll never do relationships the same way again. Um, I have a letter that I got this week, and I've gotten some wonderful um, things from you folks. It means so much to me uh, to know that God has been at work in you. And this was from somebody, from a guy. He was in Mountain Men. And this is somebody that I, I worked with. Uh, well, when I say I worked with, I mean, I spent a lot of time with, a, with this guy. <laughs> and it, there were days where I said, I don't know if this is worth it, Lord. Am I? I mean, this just feels like an exercise in futility. And, and that is, you know, just my human feelings about it. But continued to, to meet and pray with, with him. And he, I didn't know this. So when I got this this week, it meant, it meant so much to me. And he's talking about in Mountain Men, uh, an incident happened where, and in some ways it doesn't even matter, but it, I won't refer to what happened. When all of a sudden I'm in the midst of this revelation that my actions have been so hurtful, it was like this curtain of self-deception started to lift, and I had a real hard time seeing the truth. I felt like I was sucker punched. You see, surprise, grace. This doesn't feel like grace, but it is. It is. When we first met, when he's talking about he and I, when we first met, I had no insight into the problems I faced in my relationships. The only thing I was sure was that my, problem were ev- my problems were everyone else's fault. Yeah, and that is so true. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I can, I can verify. He was all about what other people were doing. And then he says about himself, what a clueless jerk. Yeah. Couldn't say it better, buddy. What a clueless jerk. I may have said that. I may have fed that. I was so frustrated sometimes. And then he says, I'm certainly not as clueless as I was, and I'm trying to be less of a jerk. I'm into progress, but not perfection. Today I'm a sinner just admitting it's progress. I'm trying to, uh, to learn more and more and live as God has intended. And what I'm trying to say there is... Uh, there's, there's nourishment there that he discovered in, in confessing to be a clueless jerk, but it, it changes his relational life. He thought it was all about other people that were, you know, bringing him down. You've got to look in the mirror. You've got to see that the, the, uh, the evidence is pointing at you. And that's true of all of us. This was an extreme case. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. When I say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, for some of you, that may mean, you know, I'm a clueless jerk. That's grace. To be able to see reality, that's grace. To be able to know you're loved as a clueless jerk, that's grace. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got some something I want to put on here that I was uh, 
meeting with somebody this week. I don't see her here, so I won't give her credit. But just so you know, it wasn't my idea. And um, all right, so I know. Okay, well, well, here you go. Yeah. You guys look great. I know I look cool, but you look great. Now, here's here's what she said. This woman said she said that it's like I put on grace goggles or goggles of grace. And so when you put these glasses on, these are manufactured in heaven, by the way, and they they allow you to see people as they really are. I can see all the cartoon bubbles above all of your heads right now. Scary thought, isn't it? Yeah. Some of you are saying, boy, he looks cool. (laughs) And some of you are saying, oh, this is dumb. Yeah. But at any rate, what what these glasses allow you to do, and I I know that I'm using this as a metaphor, obviously. They don't, they're just sunglasses. But um, yeah, don't. (laughs) What they allow you to do, goggles, grace goggles, is to look at people as they really are. And you know what you see when you see people as they really are? You see a room full of people who are hurting and wounded and needy and wanting something better and hoping and sinful and angry and worrying and lustful and angry. I mean, you know, it's the whole thing. That's what you see. And you see people uh, who have figured that out and you see people who haven't. And I know your story. I know a lot of your stories. Now, when I take these off in real, just kind of back to normal life, then everything gets put into two words. Oh, that person is nice. And people ask you how you're doing. You say, what do you say when people ask you how you're doing? Oh, yeah, fine. So when I put these on, I don't see nice and fine. I see a bunch of other stuff. When I take them off, oh. So here's, here's, the, uh, here's the phrase I want us all to say together. Remember, it's all about grace. You're safe. In saying this together, let's say, let me read it through and then we'll say it all together. I'm not as nice as you think I am, okay? And I'm not as fine as I say I am. But I am loved way more than either of us could ever imagine. Can we do that together? Good. I am not as nice as you think I am. And I am not as fine as you, I say I am. But I am loved way more than either of us could ever imagine. That is grace. Uh, Nice and fine are not words that help us. Uh, They are not part of the vocabulary of grace. Let's just say, can we just agree on that? When we use that word nice or we use the word fine, we're talking about something that covers up our our wounds but doesn't really deal with the reality. Now, I I I just want to make a distinction here between our woundedness and our brokenness. And I don't know if if you'll get it or not. Sometimes I'm not sure if I get it. But here's how I use it. We're all wounded here. We've all been hurt, and we've all hurt others. There's not one person that, that isn't true of in the room. You have all been hurt, and you have all hurt others. Part of being human, okay? And um, that's, that's what I would call wounded. But a broken person is a person who's able to process that. They, they see that it's okay to admit how I have been hurt, and how I have hurt others. They're very honest about it. They're very real about it. And the reason they're able to do that is because of the, Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you. That's what Paul wants for people. He wants grace for them. And you'll never be able to come to make the, the, that jump from woundedness 
to brokenness without grace. That's why it's so important. That's why Paul begins his letters and ends his letters with grace. It's the only thing that nourishes us. It surprises us, nourishes us, and changes our relational life. So uh, I want to I want to thank you for allowing me to become more broken and less wounded as a pastor. I do. I want to thank you for that because I have wounds. I've been hurt, and I've hurt others. And when I've hurt others, I hope I've said I'm sorry. And, and anybody in this room, I want, to, I want to have a clear conscience as I leave. Forgive me if I've hurt you, really. Um, and I have. And I, and I don't mean, if I say it generally like that, I know that it doesn't mean as much as if I come to you, and I have come to many of you over the years and said, I'm sorry, I've, I've hurt you. But I've also been hurt. And being a pastor, you learn to absorb pain, and sometimes you, you carry too much of it. And it's been wonderful having other people who are um, in, in a process of being broken, who've moved from wounded to hurt. Wounded people are like wounded animals. They're very dangerous to be around. Hurt people hurt people, right? You know that say, saying? It is, it's really hard. But when you have a broken person, it, it's, uh, they're, they're filled with grace. They really are. And they're not trying to impress anybody. So over the year, I was thinking about it. What are some of this is holy ground up here, this, this gray carpet, in the sense that various people have stood up here and told their story of grace. And I want to get uh, the, I'm not going to give names here, but I just want to. These were the ones that came to me. And there's been others. But marriages in crisis. Um, infidelity in marriages. I, I, I think of at least. I can't remember two or three couples that stood up here together and talked about the infidelity in their marriage and how they survived it, um, how they grew through it. Um, amazing stuff that people would do that in front of others. That's, that, see, they were wounded, but now broken, and God's grace uh, filled that. Um, and then a divorce. Not long ago, we heard that story. A porn addiction, twice, like, that I can recall men standing up here talking about their porn addictions. Eating disorders, sexual abuse, extreme loneliness, infertility struggles, parenting struggles, depression, suicidal thoughts and actions. You see why the words nice and fine don't work? They're not part of the vocabulary of grace. The vocabulary of grace is I'm a broken person and I'm loved. That's about it. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Those are Paul's words for people like us. Don't use nice and don't use fine. It doesn't work. It's, it's, I mean, I know, I know they creep in there. It's like talking about the weather, though, um, in the, in the uh, video that we had there. Well, um, if I can put it into some sort of conclusion here. When our wounds are, are washed in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... They, they still are scars, and they're scars that remind us of what he's done for us, how, how much he loves us. The scars of love are not a bad thing to have with you. And so I go from this place with a few scars of love and um, still in process of being healed, still weak. And I think I've learned more about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, they, they say that in Australia, I haven't been there, but I've read this, that the sheep herders there, when... Um, they are able to, at least some of them, able to, they're able to do their thing without fences. And I think, you know, sheep are really dumb. You've heard me say that over the years. <laughs> How does that work? And it's because of 
the wells of water. And so the shepherds know that the sheep, they have an instinct. They may not be smart, but they have instincts that God has put there where they will come to the wells of water. So the shepherds hang out around the wells. And, uh, you know, if you think of the imagery that Jesus gives us of being the great shepherd and the living water, there's stuff there for us. You know, the fences are good, I guess, that we need fences in our lives at times, and, but they don't feed us. They don't nourish us. Paul doesn't end his letter with a fence, with a warning. He ends it with grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Come to the wells. Come to the water. Be, be real. Be broken. Exist and live in and feed on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main thing. That is the main thing. Father, thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ. That though we are broken, we are so loved. Though we are wounded, we are so loved. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to make that move. From wounded people to broken people. I pray for this congregation, Lord, that it would become more and more a place of healing grace. Healing grace for the sake of the world that you love. Lord, there is nothing more attractive than your grace that heals people. To know that we can be known and loved at the same time by you and by people. Lord, that is your grace. And I pray that in Jesus' name for this congregation and for, for us as we leave in Jesus' name. Amen.